to Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and today I wanted to talk about something that has gained a lot of attention in the last few years. What has been deemed the firefall or the glow of horsetail fall off of El Capitan at sunset is a natural phenomenon that has probably taken place every year since well before humans first arrived on the North American continent. But it wasn't until the last 10 years that it has become so widely renowned in the world of photography and with Yosemite enthusiasts. Today, thousands of people come to Yosemite Valley every February to catch a glimpse of the famous glow off Horsetail Fall. But as I mentioned before, this influx of people is a recent development. Until the prevalence of social media got a hold of it, the horsetail fall phenomenon came and went more or less quietly every year with only a few people in the world of photography aware of the event. In recent years, however, the event has drawn so many people that the Park Service once again had to step in to impose limits and restrictions for viewing areas. Just like the man-made firefall of the 20th century, the environmental damage caused by those who would stop at nothing to photograph the natural firefall became so pervasive that to view the event today takes a lot more planning than in past years, and it has gone from a secluded experience to one that now sees the type of crowding and destruction reminiscent of music festivals. Okay, so you may be wondering what I'm talking about here. There is some confusion around the name after all, because Firefall was the name given to the actual fall of fire from Glacier Point that started in the 1870s and ran all the way up until the late 1960s. And so that was a man-made event in which a smoldering fire made from the bark of red fir trees was pushed off of the 3,000-foot cliff Glacier Point, cascading down the side of the cliff in a perfect stream, creating the same effect of a waterfall but of fire. It was described as like watching a stream of lava pour from the lip of Glacier Point. Pretty incredible and kind of strange in retrospect, but there is an interesting history behind that tradition, so if you want to know more about that, you can refer to episode 4 of the first season of this podcast. But what we're talking about today is something totally different. Although it may have the same visual effect as the man-made firefall, the orange glow of horsetail fall is 100% natural, created from the way the light from the sun hits the waterfall at a specific time of day and a specific time of year. So this effect only occurs at sunset during the last two weeks of February and is an exclusive and ephemeral Yosemite event, and it's not a guarantee either, especially in recent years. You see, the horsetail fall phenomenon needs two very important factors to take place, water and sunlight. That's it. That is the secret recipe. But like I said, it's no guarantee. In the last decade, Yosemite has seen more dry winters than ever before. And because of that, for many years, horsetail fall did not have enough water running during the time window and the effect did not occur. And the last time the fall was really running at full force during that window, there was so much cloud cover that the light from the sun could not reach the fall and the effect was lost then as well. And I mean, you never know what is going to happen here. So as a photographer, you're really rolling the dice with this uh, phenomenon. Now, you may be wondering why there is such a small window for this event. Well, it all has to do with the angle of the sun relative to the location of Yosemite during the winter and the conditions for the fall itself. Horsetail fall on its own is fed exclusively by snowmelt and does have a does not have a very long season. So it starts running in the winter, um, midwinter usually, and is almost always dry by late spring. 
And that being said, it only runs if there has been significant snowfall and warm enough temperatures during the daytime to melt the snow. So if the temperature is below freezing, the fall will not be running then either. So there has to be enough snow right before the end of February, melting continuously to keep the waterfall going. And then there is the light. That orange glow we see as the sun sets is the same effect that we get for alpenglow in the mountains. And, well, just sunsets in general. Okay, so here is a brief rundown of what happens with light at sunset and how we get that effect. Light particles from the sun, called photons, um, they contain all of the colors of the color spectrum. And as those particles travel from the sun toward Earth, some of the colors are scattered away on the journey. The more atmosphere a light particle has to go through, the shorter color waves are scattered or kind of like kicked out of the particle. And so those are the colors on the blue end of the spectrum. So think of a photon like a ship in a storm with all of the colors on board. The more tumultuous the terrain, the more things get tossed out. And the cooler colors have to go first because they are shorter waves. So just think of something that is really packed tightly together compared to something that's spread out and more flowy. There's going to be more friction with something that is tightly packed, so think of trying to fit your bald fist through a small opening. It's much easier if you um, open your hand up to fit through. It's kind of the same idea here. So by the time the light reaches us, it has lost most of the cooler colors and retained most of the warmer colors. Um, and this happens at sunset because the sun is lower on the horizon and each of those light particles have to travel through more atmosphere to reach us here on Earth. And the more there is uh, particulate matter in the atmosphere, the warmer the light will appear, the more of the cooler colors get scattered away. That's why sunsets in smoggy areas or after a storm are so vibrant and impressive because there's more particulate matter in the air. Now, I know understanding how light works can be confusing. <laughs> It still is for me, so I hope this explanation helps a little. The point is, the light from the sun nearing sunset is a warm color for us, and when it hits the waterfall, it lights it up with that beautiful bright orange light. And since water reflects and refracts or bends the light hitting it, it sends those light particles back out in every direction, so it appears as though the light is actually coming from the water itself. Eventually, the entire cliff is shrouded in darkness and the light from the sun is only touching the waterfall. And that is the golden moment that is every photographer's dream. Now, what is interesting about this phenomenon is that it is not documented or recorded anywhere in National Park archives or even in the Native American community until the first color photograph of it was made in 1973 by adventure photographer Galen Rowell. Raoul, like so many young men of the time, dropped out of college in the 1960s to pursue his love of rock climbing, and in 1972, he shot a series climbing Half Dome, which he sold to National Geographic and made his career in that profession, which also helped fund his lifestyle and helped him to live in Yosemite during that time. Then the next year, uh, 1973, he captured the first known photo of Horsetail Fall at sunset. As the story goes, he could see the light on the waterfall from another part of the valley and he had to race across the valley floor to get to a spot to capture the photo before the light disappeared. It is probably still the most famous photograph of Horsetail Fall. 
And I can't confirm this, but I think he may have been climbing at the time on the manure pile buttress uh, to the east of El Capitan. And that was why the fall was named Horsetail Fall, because manure pile uh, area used to be where the manure was deposited from the valley horse and mule stables. So before then, it was called El Capitan Falls by photographer Ansel Adams, who captured the waterfall in an early photograph, but in black and white. The event only attracted a few hundred in-the-know people every year since then until around the second decade of the 2000s, and after that, thousands of people started showing up for the event, and that's when the Park Service had to step in, and they eventually implemented a permit system for parking near the viewing area for up to 300 cars a day, but anyone could still park elsewhere and walk to the area, and it was still just total craziness. People were crowding into the riverbank and even getting into the river itself, and of course, they expanded into the meadows, which caused severe riverbank erosion and meadow destruction. So I remember the year the permit system went into place. It was 2018, and it was also a drought year. And I remember, God, the disappointment on everyone's faces as they shuffled into the village store that evening. No photo captured. It was not a great situation. The next year, however, in 2019, we had a huge snowpack and the Park Service decided to uh, get rid of the parking permits and only allow pedestrian access to what they then called the, quote, event zone. So I guess this has worked out because they have been doing this for the past two years and this method is what will be happening this year in 2021 as well. But keep in mind that due to COVID, the park will require a permit for day use entry into the park itself. So that may keep crowd the crowd situation at but even with the restrictions, there are still just so many people crowded into that space uh, to ensure adequate protection of the environment, which begs the question, how do we protect the environment while still allowing for unrestricted access for things like this? I don't know, but it is an ongoing struggle in places like Yosemite, and there's just no great solution as of yet, except for that everyone just agrees to follow the rules. But anyway, that year, um, 2019, the high snowpack year, It was great for the water situation, but that was also the year that we just had storm after storm rolling in for much of the winter. So the effect of the glow of the fall was disrupted by cloud cover for many of those days. So like I said, there's just no guarantee with it and you have to be prepared for a possible, let's just say different experience than you were expecting. But that is what is so beautiful about this phenomenon. It is completely out of our control. It is a great exercise in humility. So I'm sure by this point you are wondering how you can see this marvelous phenomenon. Well, first of all, you need to know when it happens. So it usually takes place from mid to late February. And for 2021, that window is going to be from the 13th to the 25th, with the peak days somewhere in the middle. I read in past years, it was like the 17th through the 20th, but there is still a four-day window on either side of those days that should still be excellent for viewing. And it really, it depends on the conditions. If you go expecting to see the light phenomenon on the peak days, but there is a storm rolling in, you probably won't be seeing anything. So you want to keep an eye on the weather and the percentage of cloud cover at around 5.30 p.m., which is around sunset. Also, you want to make sure there's going to be water in the waterfall. If there's little to no snow leading up to February, the conditions will not exist for horsetail fall. Now, as I write this, California is currently being bombarded with snow and precipitation, so I think it's looking good for that aspect in 2021. So check the snow conditions, check the weather, and select the days you think look best, and then think about where you want to set yourself up. There are two main locations for viewing, and they, those are El Capitan Meadow on Northside Drive, or from the other side of the 
the river near Cathedral Beach on Southside Drive. Both locations are going to be very crowded and there's just no way around this, so just be prepared to share your space with others. I would start scouting locations early in the day and setting up at least a couple of hours beforehand. You probably want to be set up fully by 3 p.m. Just keep in mind there's no parking in the event zone between 12 p.m. and 7 p.m. for all of those days, the 13th through the 25th. There's not going to be anywhere within a mile or so of the viewing area that allows parking, so the easiest thing to do here is to park at the day-use parking at uh, Yosemite Lodge and then walk either Northside Drive to El Capitan or to cross the river from the lodge and walk west on Southside Drive toward Cathedral Beach. You're probably going to be walking a minimum of three miles, a minimum of three miles for the whole event and maybe more. So bring warm clothes and snacks and water and wear good shoes that are comfortable and will keep your uh, your feet warm. Um, just consider what you will need to make it an enjoyable experience for you. Oh yeah, and don't forget your camera. I'm not a photographer, but bringing a long lens would be a good idea because Horsetail Fall is thousands of feet up a cliff and you're going to be a pretty good distance away from it. So the most important thing to remember here, however, is to stick to areas that are accessible. What I mean by that is do not step into the meadow or into the river or onto the riverbank. I know it's tempting, but so many people ignore the signs for the closed off areas and it causes a lot of irreparable damage. Those signs aren't just there for no reason. Meadows are fragile ecosystems. They are literal earth sponges and they were nearly destroyed by early pioneers who grazed sheep and cattle on them for years and it has taken decades of restoration to get them back to a state where they can function as naturally intended ecosystems. The river and the riverbank are also under restoration to prevent further erosion that is making the river less habitable for fish, frogs, and other wildlife. Everything is connected here and everything affects everything, including how many people step into the river or on the riverbank. Um, so you may be wondering which side is best for the photo or for viewing, and honestly, they're both good. You're a little bit closer on the LCAP side, but I have seen remarkable photos from both sides. So if you have a good lens, I would probably stick to Southside Drive, but that's because I just think it's a little more mellow on that side. And if this were an event I wanted to take part in, I would be looking for the most peaceful place for it. Because I, maybe because I'm not a photographer, but I just don't think it's all about the photo. I think that will make a great memory and may get you some attention as a photographer or, you know, even photos that you can sell. But I think the whole purpose of this event is just to enjoy yourself and marvel at the amazingly great fortune that we have to experience something so rare and so perfect on this planet. So after you find your perfect spot, all there is left to do is wait, watch the clouds, and cross your fingers. What I think is so very cool about this is that this life phenomenon that we as humans have assigned so much meaning to went on possibly for thousands of years without anyone noticing it. And stuff like this happens all over the planet every day going mostly unnoticed. I remember being on a backpacking trip last summer in the eastern Sierra Nevada mountains. I hiked over a pass, it was actually Bishop Pass, down into a basin with an incredibly impressive craggy mountain in the distance from where I camped that night. So I was there all by myself. There wasn't another soul for miles as far as I could tell. And I remember watching the sunset that night on the mountain. The peak was illuminated in that rosy hue while the cool shadows slowly crept up and covered everything in the blanket of night. And I thought, 
Oh my God, this happens every night. I thought of how many times the sun had set on that mountain with no eyes on it and how it would go on with or without us there to see it. It cast a feeling of anonymity over me, like I was seeing something that my mind could not fully comprehend, and I did not try to reason with it or to make sense of the display. It made me feel like whatever inconsequential things occurred in my short lifetime, that mountain would still light up every night with or without me or anyone else there to notice it or to care about it. I know how healing Yosemite and the mountains can be, obviously, and how that medicine is so needed, especially now. I'm desperate for it myself, being away from Yosemite. But if you can't make it to see Horsetail Fall this year, I hope that does not discourage you from continuing to seek the beauty wherever you are. It often shows up when you don't expect it. I find something as simple as taking a walk at a different time of day often reveals something special and unique to that moment. Like when I take a walk at dusk and I hear the call of an owl or see birds of prey on the hunt, or even something as simple as noticing how green foliage is more vibrant in low light than in the light of the midday sun, it only takes a little attention and an open mind. Seek the beauty wherever you are, and you may find there is so much more to cherish, even in your own backyard, than you may have realized. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. And if you are listening uh, on iTunes, please consider giving us a rating. I was really hoping to get up to 100 ratings by my birthday next week, but it looks like that was a little ambitious on my part because we are currently at 29, <laughs> which is my age. Just kidding. But I'm actually, I wish, but I'm actually happy with that. So I just want to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast so far and everyone who has told their friends and family members about it. And as promised, I am going to read one of the reviews from the last week. And this one comes from Marty20D. And I'm actually going to be uh, abridging this one for the sake of the pertinent content. But Marty20D writes, I have been waiting for a podcast like this one. I love national parks for their history, geology, and biodiversity. Thank you for such a fun, whimsical, and informative podcast. I would love to hear an episode about the indigenous history of Yosemite told by a member of the local tribes. Perhaps you could invite a guest speaker. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for that fantastic review, and I could not agree more. I would love to do an episode on the indigenous history of Yosemite, and so here is my response to that. As many of you know, I've been away from Yosemite for the past year during the pandemic, but I am due to return very soon in the spring, and this is when, and that is when I plan to start getting guest speakers on the podcast. So I will certainly be reaching out to members of that community to see if any of them are interested, and we'll see uh, what we can make happen. So. Thank you so much for that suggestion, and we will certainly get to work on it as soon as possible. If you want to have me read and respond to your review on a future episode, go ahead and leave one for me, and I will get to as many of those as I can for upcoming episodes. Check the show notes for resources uh, for today's show, including a video from the series Yosemite Nature Notes about Horsetail Fall and the Firefall from Glacier Point, and uh, that's where you'll get a... Uh, visual of those as well um, it's this is really one of those things that you kind of have to see it's it's hard to describe <laughs> with with words I hope I did a okay job but if you can 
uh, see it um, on screen or in photographs, that's really going to give you the best interpretation of it. Anyway, I will include those in the show notes and, uh, and I will also include ways to contact me via email, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I will also include a photo of my very special mountain sunset experience uh, on those platforms as well. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful day.